Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Isa, baby. Dun, 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 dun. Stop. Save and listen. Your tax allowance is going to be disappearing. <laughs> no, can't that's very good. I like that. Yeah, that's very good. Hello and welcome to episode four of the In for a Penny podcast. Hello. I'm Mark Schoffman, a freelance personal finance journalist, and I'm joined by my financial planner friend Joshua Gersler, who runs an advisory business called The Orchard Practice. Hello. 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 If you'd like to... If you'd like to know a little bit more about us, you can check me out at www.cavendishcontent.com and josh at www.topfs.co.uk. Check you out. Thank you. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to. (laughs) Each episode, we aim to give our perspective on the world of finance and money and discuss some of the issues that crop up in business as well as everyday life. We've split this episode into two sections. We'll start off by trying to shed some light on a confusing financial term in our alien concept section and finish off by looking at an issue that we come across from running our businesses in a penny for your thoughts. We hope that you'll learn something from our podcast as well as have some fun too. Great. Has anyone left us a review, Mark? We do actually, from a gentleman called Ivor Jaswan on SoundCloud. He says, a very enjoyable listening experience. I was not anticipating laughing so much to a finance theme podcast. Mark and Josh's witty humour and real life examples and experiences lend a lighter and more personal vibe to the experience. He says experience a lot there, but I'm glad he's having a good time. You're not marking it, you're just reading it out. As well as much laughter, there was also genuine nuggets of sage wisdom which transcends the often bland and sterile nature of the financial industry when interacting with high street banks, for instance. Well done, Mark and Josh. Look forward to more pearls of wisdom. Well, that's nice. You can also leave us positive feedback or abuse on our SoundCloud page, on iTunes, or via Twitter at InforAPennyPod and the number one. Fantastic. And I think it's important for people to leave reviews because we don't know what we're doing well and we don't know what we're doing wrong unless people tell us. So I thought we'd do something a bit different on this episode. It's the beginning of March, hopefully by the time I get this out, which means we're just a few weeks away from the end of the tax year. Yeah. Does that excite you? I don't know about excite me. Something I deal with it and it excites me because i thought as an advisor yeah it's one of those times where you're going to be calling up on emailing your clients telling or asking them about using their various isa and pension allowances because once the tax year ends all that money you could have put in an isa or a pension has gone yeah, you right. use it or lose it correct so we try with our clients to make sure we're planning throughout the year so that it's not a last minute scramble between 1st of march and the 5th of april but we do send reminders out to clients and calls and emails to those that haven't been as proactive during the year. So I decided we're going to dedicate this episode to how to make the best of your savings and investments before the tax window closes. Sounds good. And that neatly brings us to this episode's alien concept, where we discuss a piece of business or financial jargon, why it makes no sense, and how it can be simplified. So here's the tombola of terms. And should I get it out? Um, well, no, keep that away, <laughs> but let us know what the term is this week, please. No, I said put that away, Mark. <laughs> That's better, thank you. This episode's alien concept is tax rapper. Lovely. So, shall we start with what I think it means? Go for it. It's not someone who sings songs about tax. Very good. Let, have you got a little tax rap that I you do. prepare for us? Go oh, on. Of course I do. Go on. Just like you knew. So it goes a little bit like... You know what, I didn't. 
You didn't, you didn't put that in the email <laughs> to me. Play. It's a fantastic I was going to say, I'm going to do this off the cuff. You ready? Go for it. It goes a bit like this. Isa, Isa, baby. Dun, 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 dun. Isa, Isa, baby. Dun, 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 dun. Stop. Save and listen. Your tax allowance is going to be disappearing. <laughs> no, I can't that's very good. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's very good. So a tax wrapper is the umbrella name given to products where you can earn interest right. without having to pay any tax. Okay. So that includes things like your ISAs and your pension. And so I think that's important this, at this time of year as we're coming to the end of a tax year on the 5th of April. And um, if your money's not in an ISA or a pension by then, some of it, that money is going to be taxed and you have to pay the tax man. Whereas you've got all these generous allowances that you could be putting into these wrappers to shield from tax liability. Okay. And that's what I think a tax wrapper is. Okay. I won't try and wrap with you. Do you want me to talk a bit about tax wrappers and we can have a chat about that? Okay. So um, you could have any type of investment you like. And all a wrapper does, all a wrapper means is the treatment of that investment for tax purposes. So I'll give you a very simple example of an unwrapped investment. Okay? Okay. A bank account. Interesting. So any money in your bank account is just in a bank account. It's an unwrapped investment. Not really an investment in a bank account, but an unwrapped product. Mm -hmm. If you have a cash ISA, suddenly you wrap that bank account in an ISA tax wrapper. And what that wrapper is doing for you, what that ISA wrapper is doing for you, is making sure that you don't pay any income tax on the interest that that bank account generates. Does that part of it make sense? Yes. Okay. So there's also a stocks and shares ISA wrapper. Okay. So what you could do is you could buy shares in a any company. Pick a company. ASOS. ASOS. Okay. Is that because your missus does a lot of shopping on ASOS? I spend most of my day opening the door to ASOS deliveries. My wife now has the ASOS delivery man's number on speed dial. <laughs> that's it comes around about four times a day. She says it's just to drop off packages. I hope that's all it is, but you never know. Um, if you're listening, Mrs. G, I know that's not really what's happening. Um, so you've got shares in ASOS. You don't, but let's say you have shares in ASOS and you just hold them in a share dealing account. That's an unwrapped investment. If they were held in your stocks and shares ISA, that would be the wrapper around those ASOS shares. And any growth that you make, any profit that you make on those ASOS shares when you sell them will be free from capital gains tax. Mm -hmm. And any dividends that those ASOS shares generate for you will be free of income tax. Okay. So again, that, that wrapper is just how the how the underlying investment is treated for tax. Another type of wrapper is a pension. Again, the same thing. You could hold cash in your pension. You could hold ASOS shares in your pension. And all the pension does to that is to determine how the tax treatment of those shares are dealt with. Okay. Okay. And we won't, I don't think we should get too technical today because we try and keep this... Simple. Simple. Thank you. We try and keep this simple. So maybe another episode will go into a bit more detail of the tax treatment of all these different wrappers but all a wrapper is is a something around an investment to determine how it's treated so should we break it down a bit break it down break, seeing as we're doing wrapping things we're wrapping yeah mark break. so um i know you asked me a lot of questions on this podcast so okay why don't i ask you some today you can turn the tables i will turn the tables the turntables for the wrapping analogy you're doing today okay um what is the tax year end the quick fire round come on fifth of april Correct. 
What is the this year's ISA allowance? Twenty thousand. Twenty thousand pounds. Correct. What is? Can this? I just clarify when you're clicking? Are you clicking when I need to answer or when I get it correct? <laughs> I'm clicking to as Your in because I want quick responses. Assistant. I don't know if you can hear the clicks on the. I, well, I can hear them. Okay. <laughs> and this year's pension allowance. Oh my goodness! Um, yearly 40, annual 000. allowance. 40. Correct. Yeah. Very good. Well done. I could be a financial advisor. You could be, so. or you could just do quizzes. Okay. Okay. Shall I ask you? Yeah, go for okay. it. Go on. What is the lifetime pension allowance? One point oh three million. Very but now good. we're just showing off about our knowledge. I don't think people want to hear about this on okay. the on the podcast. How so? Do clients find it confusing? Do you think because you, you've mentioned three or four different products there, all using the word tax wrapper? No, because when we actually discuss it with a client, we won't use the term tax wrapper. As probably one of the reasons you brought it up is because it's a alien concept, a confusing term. So we won't bombard them with the jargon. We'll just talk about what we recommend for their investments and the benefits of doing certain things. And I think once we've done some work with a client for a a little bit, they start to get the hang of it. But I I would imagine if you don't have an advisor or you are new to finance, which a lot of our listeners are, you would find it a bit confusing. So I know you like to be a bit quirky at times. Thank you. No, (laughs) I wasn't saying it was a compliment. compliment? um, So I know you like to come up with other terms for things. So I imagine the fact that you've prepared... Um, the section on t- on tax wrappers probably means you've got a few ideas up your sleeve yeah. to, to alternatives. I mean, of course, this is all totally random and depends what comes out with some bowler. But I do think <laughs> tax wrapper sounds confusing, the word tax wrapper. Yeah. You, you do sometimes it? see it in advertising and people say, make sure your investments are in a tax wrapper. Yeah. Or I see it in things I read anyway. Maybe so I what do you think would be better? Gangster wrapper? Gangster wrapper's good. Uh, I think tax wrapper's confusing because it sounds like a sweet or okay. a rapper, yeah, fifty cents. That's the only rapper I can think of. Yeah, I'm he'll take you to the candy shop. Uh, and it, I think it focuses on a negative aspect, the tax, which is what you don't want. And I think as an investor, I'd want to know what I'm getting rather okay. than avoiding. So what would you call With it? that in mind? I've got a few names. You tell me what you think of these. Okay. Interest booster. Uh, C. C. As in that's from my mark. That's that your mark. I'm not speaking Spanish. That's your mark. <laughs> That's a great savings facility. C plus. C plus. Or do we need the term at all? Could B. we just say ISA or pension? Or could you just have? Well, tax wrap is not an official financial thing like a pension or an ISA. Hmm. It's just what people call the these types of investments or these types of wrappers because there isn't another word for it. Does it need to be a thing, mate? Because if you've already got the word, yeah. if, if the word is pension or ISA, does giving them this other term, does that make it more confusing? Yes. Can you elaborate? No. Okay. It does make it, it more confusing. Make... Yeah, I agree with you. As a journalist, I get a lot of press releases about how to become an ISA millionaire and to start thinking about that. Yeah. To put money away and um, that focuses on the amount you need to put I away each month. I want to be an ISA millionaire. Oh, we're not singing, sorry. Not okay. And they seem to focus on making ideally using your full allowance but a lot of releases seem to say to be a millionaire you need to have enough money to start with to then end up with a million so they're saying you need to put away like thousands of pounds a month and then eventually you'll be a millionaire but they're sort of right because if you've only got twenty thousand pounds and you put that into your isa you're not gonna be a millionaire the next year are you it's going to take time for it to grow so you do need to put some money away each year but you can only put away what you can afford to put away. So it's not saying, I hope they're not saying, open an ISA and you'll be a millionaire 
in 10 years time or whatever it is but if you if you save regularly and you put away a bit of money at the beginning of every month then that will build up into a significant pot how do you decide how much you should save so we use cash flow modeling software with our clients and we work out what are their needs and what are their future goals and their lifestyle goals and their financial goals and then we can work backwards from that to calculate how much they should be putting away each month to achieve those goals and I guess that must change every few years like if you suddenly have kids or big expense unexpected expense correct so uh, financial planning is not an exact science it's made up of a lot of assumptions but we make sure we have annual planning meetings with our clients so we can factor in any changes in their life because things will always change if you think back to where your life was five years ago it's probably completely different to to what it is now so much better (laughs) no every year is better good what's your favorite tax wrapper my favorite, my favorite. I don't it's know. It's not like choosing quality streets, like yeah. the green one. My favorite tax wrapper. Um, I don't think I've got an answer. And what's your go-to product? That's what I'm trying to ask you. Like, it depends on the client's circumstances. Okay. So, ISAs and pensions are two of the uh, the most favourable investments wrappers you can have. And what if you've used up all your tax wrapper money? Uh, well, we would explore whether you've used up all your family's allowances as well. So, for example, you mentioned kids. So your children have junior ISA allowances. Um, and then we'd, you'd have to use unwrapped investments. I mean, there are other things, that, by the way, apart from pensions and ISAs, but if we're keeping it simple, yeah. then, you gotta, then you'd have to have unwrapped investments. Does being able to put something in a tax wrapper make it more respectable? What do you mean by respectable? Do you think someone, if they don't have much knowledge, could go for a really risky share, like a really small startup who's had a couple of months of good performance and think, well, they'll do well, I'm going to put them in my... ISA but then they that company fails and they end up losing their money but they think well I can put this in the stocks and shares ISA and ISA's approved and the government lets me put money in an ISA so this must be fine. I don't think that putting something in an ISA makes it more respectable. You have to pick the investment first of all on its own merits and then think about the tax treatment of it. You shouldn't really ever do anything just because of the tax treatment. If you're thinking about your ISA now is it better to put all your money in in one lump sum or should you do it on a monthly basis throughout the tax year? Again, it's dependent on personal circumstances, but I think regular savings are better, doing things on a monthly basis. The advantage of putting it all in one lump sum, if you do it on the first day of the tax year, is you've got 12 months for that money to grow compared to if you put it in on the end of the tax year. But I think putting things on a in on a monthly basis is better because it encourages disciplined savings. So you get into that saving habit and it becomes automatic that you just invest every month. I guess if you just did a direct debit from your bank, you won't even notice it. Correct. Once you're doing it, as long as you don't stretch yourself too far, it becomes just another expense. If you're doing a stocks and shares ISA, how do you know when you're getting into the market at the right time? Well, if you're doing things on a monthly basis, it doesn't matter. Because if the value of any investments goes down, it just means next month you buy more of it. Yeah, that's called pound cost averaging. And maybe that should go in the uh, the tombola for another uh, another episode. Maybe. But for now, that was the alien concept. If you have any alien concept terms you'd like us to chuck into the tombola, feel free to leave a comment on our SoundCloud page via Spotify, on iTunes, or on Twitter at InforAPennyPod and the number one. The number one. And now it's time for a penny through your thoughts, where we discuss some of the social issues that come up in the workplace. In this episode, I thought we'd discuss the concept of presenteeism. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I think I laughed so hard there, I broke the sound for a minute. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I don't think your pronunciation was quite right there. You might want to research how you say words before you say them out loud, Mark. Thank you. Go on. So how do you pronounce it? In this episode, we're going to discuss the concept of being chained to your desk. Okay. Which um, some people call presenteeism. <laughs> I don't think anyone calls it presenteeism. Presentism. <laughs> the idea of always being present. Didn't you used to be a radio presenter? Yeah, I never had to say this word. <laughs> okay. It's <been> made up. <laughs> I would have thought presenteeism. That's what I said. No, you said presenteeism. What did you say? Pre- I don't know now. I completely lost. Go on, you try. I'm not even going to try it. I'm just going to answer some questions on it. <laughs> okay. So this is the idea. Okay, go on. But people are always at their desks, come rain or shine. In sickness and in good health. Should we call it FaceTime? That's what you used to get called in my old workplace. FaceTime. To be yeah, seen at your good. desk. FaceTime. Yeah, this was before Apple brought out uh, Apple FaceTime. Yeah. So I've got some research for you. Yeah. From the Chartered Institute of Personnel Development. I'm going to blame them for coming up with the word presentism. <laughs> Come on, man. They say they surveyed a thousand people. Yeah. 86% of those yeah. said they had found examples of. FaceTime in the yeah. organisation over the past 12 months, uh, which was an increase from 70, 72% in 2016 and 26% in 2010. So in the last eight years, it's gone up quite a bit. A lot more people are just hanging around the office. Okay. And obviously there's issues with that, with your sort of mental health. You never get home to see your family. Yeah. You miss bath time. And then uh, the survey also found that people were reluctant to take holiday take holidays and annual leave yeah which also probably isn't good for your health no it's nice to have a break why why do you think we've got into this situation i think as a society we are switched on and connected 24 7 Mm. which isn't a good thing we've all got smartphones laptops computers whatever it is whatsapps and really it's not healthy because you can be contactable from work 24 7 why don't people turn their phones off once you leave the office I don't know that they don't. Um, you know, I haven't been party to the survey. I used to be quite bad at I was checking my emails all evening. When I changed my phone, I managed to work out how to turn off the notifications for emails. Because what I, I was finding was when you look at your handset, it doesn't beep, by the way, when I get an email. I turned that off eight years ago. Oh, yeah, that's annoying. But when you know when you look at your handset, it says the number of unread emails. Mm. And I don't like it when there's a number. I like to be clear yeah. that I've read everything. So I managed to find a way that it doesn't show me how many unread emails I've got. Uh-huh. And therefore, I'd, I've stopped checking it in the evenings. Is Do you check you... yours in the evenings? Kind of. And I think it is a problem that it's on your phone. And if it wasn't yeah. on my phone, I wouldn't just come into my study and log on to check my emails. It's, so it's, it's weird. I think it's because it's, yeah, it's there, it's in your pocket. And you just worry. Even though It's weird because no one's going to email you at 10 o'clock at night. Well, I, you know what? I do get emails that clients send at all times of day yeah. and night. And I'm fine with that. Um, send an email whenever you want. You send it at your convenience. But bear in mind, I will read it and respond at my convenience. Do you think they ever expect you to respond at 11 o'clock in the evening? No, not really. I think if it was urgent, 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 you'd get a phone call about something. I um, I mean, I hate emails. I've fallen out of love with them completely because I get far too many to respond to. And I find when I respond, I then get one back. So yeah. I'd much rather pick up the phone and have a chat with a client. You're old-fashioned. I'm old-fashioned, yeah. So I try when I first meet a client and we agree to work together, I try to manage their expectations and let them know that if they send me an email, they might not get a response straight away. It might be a day or two until I reply. So if you want a, a quick answer or to have a chat, let's let's speak on the phone. And most people are comfortable with that. Do you ever use the LinkedIn? The LinkedIn. 
Uh, I'm on the LinkedIn, um, but I don't really, you know what, I don't have a clue what it does. I'm on it and I've got thousands of connections. Oh, show off. <laughs> no, I don't mean it in that way. Yeah. My point is I've got thousands of, of connections and a lot of them I know, a lot of them I don't know personally, but I don't really use it for anything. Do you use the LinkedIn? No, I'm not. <laughs> Obviously, I'm on it, and it's meant to be good for business networking, and I have picked up some work from it. But I think one of the big issues with LinkedIn is you often see sponsored posts and posts that maybe some contacts, a friend, posts from friends of some contacts, where people are regularly posting about kind of getting up at 4 a.m., sort of, and they describe it as hacking time. So mm. they'll say they sort of get up at 4 a.m., they do yoga, yeah. and then their emails are all checked by 7, and they've been to the gym and they're ready to work at 8, and then they're still working until 10 or 11 at night. Yeah. And they kind of describe that as being effective. But does that seem effective or ineffective? Well, it depends on the outcomes, doesn't it? So I don't think the amount of time you work necessarily um, has a direct correlation to the quality of your work. Often, I think if, you're on sh- if you've got less time to do things, you're probably going to be more efficient with it. Yep, true. Do you think people use social media to boast? So in those examples, are people just posting about how hard they're working yeah really don't get me started on social media because the whole thing about it i don't think is, is is great for us in today's society i sound like a miserable old git i'm not um old but with social media you only see a snapshot of people's lives what they want you to see whether it's something on the facebook about how amazing their life is or something on the linkedin um with their how hard they work they're showing you what they want you to see. You never, you never see the real story. So, come to my house where we've got four children under the age of uh, six, and you'll see what real life is all about. And then try and run a business as well. That's re- that's real life. That's real life. You don't run your business from your house, say. No, I don't. But just come to my house, <laughs> please. <laughs> Anything to save me. So let's talk about your business. Sure. You have staff. I do. How do you manage FaceTime? The guys in my office are actually quite good that they I hope they know that all I care about is getting the work done so um, on the whole people leave at a decent time the office official closing hours uh, is closing time is half five if people have got things to do they'll stay to do it and most of the time people are out at at a decent time having said that last week we were particularly busy with lots of mortgage applications to get in and one of the guys there was working till 10 o'clock Wow. That's not a regular occurrence. I think it's the only time we've ever we've ever had it. But fair play to the guy, and I've got great uh, respect for him. He wanted to get the work done, and he stayed to get it done because he wanted clients to have their mortgage applications in as quickly as possible. And in that situation, does he get anything in return? Gets pat on the back from me, and that is worth its weight in gold. I hope I he's listening. <laughs> uh, how early do you think people need to turn up? Well, we're, we're, we're officially half nine to half five. If if you want to do 9.30 exactly to 5.30 exactly, that's fine, as long as you're getting your work done. And, you sh- and most people are getting their work done. What if you're a fast worker and you can be finished by 4.30? You know what? I think you should give them more work then. If you can get through more work in less time, take more work on. What if you're just very efficient? Yeah, great. So that's what we all want, efficient workers. If you can get more done, let's give you more to do. What if someone can get stuff out really quickly, they've got years and years of experience... So they can produce fast. Why does that mean they should work more than someone who is slower? But the thing is, they're working the same amount of hours. If you are in an employed position, normally you are paid for your time. I don't mean like on an hourly rate. You're paid to be at work and do a certain amount of hours work. It's not like if you have a freelancer or someone you pay by the hour, 
well then it's a completely different story but if you are much more efficient you should i think you should still work the same amount of hours but you should be commanding a higher salary don't get excited i'm not offering you more money (laughs) do you think a lot of the reasons people stay so late is that they're worried they'll lose their jobs if they're always seen as the first one to leave i think in certain places there is a bit of a culture of that one of the guys that works in my office very conscientious they're all very conscientious the, the team i've got at the moment but one of them said to me when he first started his job he's got a long commute to work and he said to me i don't want people to think because i'm leaving on time i don't want people to think i don't care and i'm not working hard um, and I said, people won't think that because you're a good guy. You get your work done. And if the, the important thing is, before you leave, make sure no one needs your help before you go. So whenever anyone goes, they ask the others if there's anything they can help them with. Do you think our rigid nine to five work structure is to blame? Because a lot of people, they'll maybe need to get out early because or on time because they need to sort of childcare issues or the trains get busy at a certain time and if people could be more flexible or work kind of from home well, i think nowadays um there is more and more flexible working out there i can only really comment about my business but i know from mrs g's work she changed roles a few months ago and she has to complete a certain amount of tasks a day and but the company don't care what time of day she does that so she works from home and she could do it all in the morning she do it all in the afternoon she could spread it out i think it depends on the type of business you're in you you must be working flexible 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 you must be working flexibly to suit your needs i do yeah, yeah. so i'll do yeah i'll do the school drop off occasionally yeah. come back to a bit of work sometimes i go to the gym during the day i can see you been yeah. eating at the gym recently <laughs> Uh, but I think it all depends on the type of work you're doing. An extreme example, if you're a professional footballer, you can't say, well, I don't really want to work between three and five on the Saturday if that's when you're supposed to play football. Or if you are a if you are a milkman, yeah. you can't say, well, I don't want to deliver milk in the mornings, I only want to deliver it in the evening. When did you last see a milkman? Um, funnily enough, he was arriving just as the ASOS guy was <laughs> was leaving the other day. But if you're in a work, in a job such as yours... yeah. The key is writing the articles, writing the, the, the stories. It's not what time you write it. A lot of people obviously work in offices. And I do sort of think if you're just at a desk, there's so much now you can do just from the internet anywhere. Why why do people always need to be at their desks through these nine, nine at this rigid Yeah, I'm with, I'm with you. Time? I'm with you. You tell me because I, I agree with you. It depends on your job again. But if there's no need to be sitting in an office at your desk, well, then don't do it. If it's going to make your life better doing something else. Big believer in doing what makes you happy. Do you want to ask me anything? Um, yeah, I do. Um, have you always had stubble or is it a new thing? <laughs> <laughs> You're right there. <clears throat> I Would you like to know how I approach presenteeism? Not really, but you're going to tell me. Go on. So I have a computer in my study in my house. So there is a temptation to come in in... At any point of day, any in the night, in the middle of the night, I might wake up and suddenly think of something I have to do. But to me, I've, in my head, I sort of have set hours I try to be in this room. Unless I've got deadlines and I've been too lazy in the day. And then at, at certain times, once I'm happy with what I've done on that day, I'll turn the computer off and I'll close the door. I think it's important to be able to do that. I'd like to be in a position in the future where I don't need to be in my office all day, where I've got, where I can spend more time at home 
spend more time on holiday because as long as I can work remotely yeah your poor wife what having to spend more time with yeah. me yeah tell me about it yeah the ASOS guy will be upset <laughs> do you think we've moved from living to work rather than working to live oh that is deep I know Mark. do I think we've gone from living to work to working to live you know what I think there's a bit of both which is true in life I think you need to have a a bit of both because we all need to well all of us but some people are very fortunate but most of us need to work to be able to afford the lives we want to live which I think is your working to live line there but if you really enjoy your job I do so part of my living is is going to work and enjoying what I do so I think there's a bit of both in there I'm lucky enough that I don't see it as work. I get up and I go to work and I help people. Sound like a LinkedIn poster now. I don't. I wouldn't know about that. Because they'll, yeah, no, they'll talk about getting up with a smile on their face. Yeah, they're right. Absolutely right. Yeah. Depends who you're getting up next to. Correct. Yeah. What yeah. do you like most about your job? I love being able to help people with their finances and give them comfort and security that they can do the things they want to do in life. That sounds nice. Yeah. What about you? When I first started as a journalist, my aim was to be able to help people. Yeah. And um, I often struggle to do that, just writing about personal finance. But I do think if you can help people become financially smart, that can help them on the road to success. So when I'm writing things, in the back of my my mind, I always have the thought that, is this helping people? And can this provide interesting tips and advice so that people can make their own lives better. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great. I think that's one of the reasons we wanted to do this podcast, wasn't it? So yeah. people could learn and, and take care of their finances. Exactly. And that is this episode's Penny Through Your Thoughts. If you've got any interesting business or social issues you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us at the usual channels. Do you want to remind people? We've got on Twitter, in for a penny pod one. We've got SoundCloud, we've got iTunes, and we've got is there anything else? Spotify. Spotify. Okay. Oh, it's the end. And that's all we've got time for in this episode. Thank you for listening. But please remember that anything discussed in this program should not be viewed as financial advice. If you do need support, though, please contact me or visit the Orchard Practice website at www.topfs.co.uk. Do feel free to leave us any feedback and post any financial issues you'd like us to cover. But for now, thank you for being in for a penny.